Do you want to know how to turn £172 into millions? Well, you are in for a treat with today's episode on Brave, Bold, Brilliant. So it's with Mark Wright, who was the winner of The Apprentice in 2014. Now, Mark came to this country as a backpacker with £172 in his pocket. Who could have known that eight years later, he would have been the winner of The Apprentice, become Lord Sugar's business partner, set up and scaled a hugely successful online marketing business, Climb Online, and actually have just sold that business for seven figures less than eight years later. Well, that's exactly what Mark did. So I was lucky enough to interview Mark for the podcast last year, but in honor of his great success and the inspiration that he is for all of us, I wanted to re-release the episode so that you get the chance to listen to it again, or if you've not listened to it the first time round, then you are going to absolutely love this. So remember, no limits, and whatever you're going to do, today, tomorrow, or the next day, you can achieve anything you want in life. So just be brave, bold, and that's when you will be brilliant. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Lymph, and I'm here today with Mark Wright. He is the CEO and founder of Climb Online, also very well known as being the Apprentice winner for 2014 and the business partner of Lord Sugar. So welcome, Mark. Nice to see you. Jeanette, it's good to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. What a great way to uh, finish the week. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. I'm surprised we should really be doing this with a, like a beer and a, or a glass of wine or something, shouldn't we? <laughs> I don't want to do that. Then I really worry about the answers I'll give off. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that next time. Part two. Part two. Excellent. Oh, Mark, no, it really is great to see you actually. And um, we first connected on Clubhouse of all of all areas. Right. So new social media platform that's hot. So I'm really grateful that we managed to connect. So. Mark, we're going to get into all of your business life and kind of how things have evolved for you. But do you mind kicking us off with just a bit of a plotted history, a bit about your story, and then we'll go from there? Well, yeah, um, well, I don't mind. And yeah, thank you again for having me, Jeanette. So I think if anyone who's listening to this and not seeing the visual, you'll now know that I'm not the uh, Mark Wright from The Only Ways Essex. I... uh, (laughs) share my namesake with someone else who lives very close to me that was on The Only Ways Essex, and uh, I'm the business version, Mark Wright. Um, and as you can tell from my, my voice here, I'm from Australia. Uh, so I guess my journey that we're interested to talk about today started in 2012 when I came to the UK as a backpacker. Uh, I, was, I was doing what all Australians do. I got a world ticket, started a two-year journey around the UK, around Europe, and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, sort of, a, you know, a couple of years into it, I ran out of money. Uh, I ran out of money and I was in, I think, Berlin in Germany at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do the living in London thing, try and see if I can make it in the UK. So I got over to London. I was living in a backpacking hostel called the White Ferry House 
in Victoria, in London. It was um, 38 pounds a night and I had 171 pounds. So I wasn't very long for lasting in London. I did the door knocking from door to door uh, until I got a job as a, um, a cold calling salesman selling Google ads. And uh, I started working for one of the biggest digital advertising companies in the UK. They had 73 offices, 500 employees. And I think my journey as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, started like many entrepreneurs. I started working for a massive organization and I really disagreed with the way they were doing things. I felt like deep down I could do it better. Uh, I didn't like the, their ethics. I didn't like the way they treated their customers. I didn't like the way they treated their staff. So I put together a business plan for a digital marketing agency that I thought would do things the right way, would, would really be a great company. And I took it to the bank. But because I'm not from the UK, they wouldn't open an account for me. Um, so... I tried out for The Apprentice, this little TV show I'd never heard of uh, with a businessman called Lord Sugar who I'd also never heard of. Um, so I went down to the tryouts the following Saturday uh, with 75,000 people um, for Series 10 of The Apprentice in 2014. I was one of over 75,000 that tried out. I was one of 20 contestants which got onto the show, which I went on to win. If we fast forward now six years, years. Uh, I've been Lord Sugar's business partner for that long. Climb Online is one of the most successful businesses to be founded by an apprentice winner. We were the first to turn over a million in year one, the first to make a profit in year one. Um, and we, we have customers like TikTok, Emirates, um, and many others, Made.com and, and, and a list of customers you would have heard of right down to your local dentist and plumber that you wouldn't have heard of. And um, our job is digital marketing. We build websites, do social media, Google ads, all of that stuff. But the mentoring I've received from Lord Sugar combined with my success in my business has allowed me to invest in many startup companies, mentor others, speak on stage, speak on podcasts, and be here with you today. So I hope that summarizes it a little bit, but um, feel free to ask away. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It is a very much a canter through. So I appreciate that because we are going to get into lots more detail now, which is fantastic, Mark. So when you left Australia to do the round the world trip, you know, yeah. what was the catalyst for you leaving Australia? Was it just that you'd always wanted to travel, see the world or, you know, what was the sort what were you leaving behind and what were you hoping to move towards by doing that trip? Very good question one that I never talk about, but I was running away from a broken heart, um, which is the story of my life, to be honest. Uh, my mum always says that I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm a very, um, I think I do everything I do with a lot of purpose. Uh, everything I do, whether it's a talk and there's one person in the audience up to a relationship or speaking to my employees or a meeting with a hundred people or one, I try to do everything at 100%. What that often means that I leave myself very exposed. And uh, I've had my heart broken, I think, a lot more than a lot of people. Uh, but I've also experienced, I believe, a lot more than a lot of people by putting myself out there. And that, you know, that's right through to something like the apprentice opportunity. A lot of success, both in relationships and businesses, on the other side of a huge risk. But what that also means is there's there could be potential huge failure. Um, and so I was running away from a broken heart. 
uh, and the pain that was caused from that. And I kind of had felt that I needed some space um, from the circle of friends and stuff that I was with in Australia, the relationships that I was having. So I went and tried something new. And what that experience taught me was that's such a great thing to do when you hit a bit of a point in life where you're feeling a bit stagnated, you're not sure of the circle or the relationship you're in, just mix it up, change it up because that will still be there. But what is the potential success that you could find by trying something new? Yeah, no, I love it. Gosh, a broken heart. Oh, my word. We've all, well, we've all had those at different times of our lives. But when you're in that, it, it's really, you know, it's so, it's, it can be such a dark place. You know, it can be absolutely crucifying at the time. But then when you look back and you think, well, actually, maybe it was one of, it was meant to be and look where I am now. I never would have had the chance to do all the things if it hadn't been that catalyst to, to kind of leave. Um, so I don't know. Do you feel like that? Well, when it happened the first time, I thought no one had experienced pain like I was going through. I was a 20-year-old, 19, 20-year-old man. You feel no one's ever going to know how bad I'm suffering. It's life is the worst for me and no one knows the pain I'm in and all of this stuff. But what you soon realize is exactly what you said is things happen to you in life, good and bad. You never know the outcome of something that's happening to you. You might feel really good or it might feel really bad. But it's setting you up for something, whether that's experience, whether that's a new opportunity, a new relationship, a new situation that you could not have expected. And normally, the best things in life happen after some kind of adversity, after some sort of pain, after some sort of learning experience. And you should also remember that on the flip side, when you're going through great adulation or great happiness is nothing, unfortunately, does last forever. But fortunately as well, nothing lasts forever. <laughs> Experiences are just there to be. And uh, if you can remember that, nothing can phase you too much. But it's taken me to uh, this age to realize that. So, uh yeah, at the time, I probably wouldn't have listened to my own advice. <laughs> Look at you, Mark, all wise now, you know, as you're a few years down the track, you've got it all <laughs> right? This is amazing. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, listen, I appreciate you being uh, candid about it. It's interesting because I spent most of my career in the travel industry. And very often, you know, when, when you had overseas reps, um, they very often they were leaving something behind to go and be a travel rep you know uh so it's quite interesting when you talk to people that have traveled very often there's there's something going on behind the scenes that's given them the push to go and explore the world and, and my god their life just changes uh when it was it was the best thing i was the best thing I ever did in my entire life. I became a tour leader for a, for a travel company. I took Australians around Europe. I had so many different experiences, which I believe have helped me in business mm -hmm. because when we were in the apprentice house and we had to sleep in share rooms uh, and it was very really tough for people, I just spent you know a year in hostels uh, when we had to do this and do this and have no sleep or, or, or go in this environment. It had prepared me for a lot of the challenges that were set up in business and also in The Apprentice that I just experienced through travel. Yeah, so you were like, wow, what's everyone moaning about? There's hot water just, here. <laughs> just a Wednesday for me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it, I love it. And actually, you're right, because also when you spend time with different cultures, you know, actually that really helps you in business as well. So even if you're not, you've not got an international business as such, you know, you just get to learn how to read people and be more respectful and to kind of be able to adjust 
depending on the environment you're in. And maybe that period traveling also made you adaptable um, as well. Uh, it, it was certainly just, I think also a, a large part of uh, who I am now and how I changed on that journey of travel was spending a lot of time on my own. Before that period of, of, of traveling, backpacking on my own, I would don't think I'd ever spend a day on my own, a day in my own company, being silent, not having, you know, being at work, having your colleagues, having your friends, having your family. Literally, you, some days I'd be on a train or a plane one, two, three days and not speak to anyone or not know anyone, you know, go from country to country. And that is really powerful when you become your own best friend and fully dependent on your own resources. It's a very self-fulfilling and self-empowering situation. And once you learn to really survive on your own two feet in places where they don't speak English, you don't know anyone, I don't feel that there's anything because most business people feel the biggest fear is losing everything. But when you've started from nothing, you're not scared to go back that, to that place and that not having that fear is, is a power, powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and just coming back to what you were saying about The Apprentice as well, you, you made me giggle actually when uh, you started doing your intro because you, it was always like, well, I've never really heard of this show and who was Lord Sugar? I never heard of him either and I just needed to do it. Necessity was the mother of invention. I needed to get some money and some finance so I'll just throw myself in and give it a go and there you are, one out of 75,000. It just shows you if you put yourself in the way of opportunity, what can happen, right? Well, every time I've put myself into a situation that is interesting, which is on the other side of the comfort zone, whether it is The Apprentice, because let's face it, you've got more chance of winning the, the lottery than winning The Apprentice. You've got more chance of getting into Cambridge or Oxford than getting into The Apprentice mm -hmm. based on the number of people that apply. Um, so the chances of not getting in or if I got in of getting fired is substantial um, so you're almost setting yourself up for failure, but on that point zero 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 one, you, you could become through and win or get Lord Sugar as a mentor, as a business partner. It is life changing financially, uh, in terms of profile, in terms of business. Uh, and it was for me, it really was. Mm. And the show itself, Mark, so when you were on it, um, is it obviously it's staged for TV, right? It's meant to to be yep. entertainment as well as the you know the this, the business side of it. But um, how contrived is that environment? You know, is it very staged, or actually, you know, do you not even realise the cameras are there when you're on the show? How, how does it play out in reality? It's very interesting because obviously it's a TV show and it it has to be entertaining for BBC one to keep commissioning it. It's got to continue to entertain the audience. So I think there's several things they do. The, the, the tasks themselves are set up to be entertaining. The candidates, the vast majority are selected to be entertaining. I wasn't one of the ones selected to be entertained. I was one of the ones selected for business purposes. Mm. At least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> So what happens is if you create stress, a time frame and a crazy task with crazy people, it's going to get entertaining. The tasks themselves are real. And as the weeks got on, the first couple of tasks, you're really conscious of the production and the cameras. And so it's a bit more of an acting, say, scenario. And as the weeks went on, it became really natural. to You kind of forgot about them and you were being more sort of normal. Um, 
So I'd say that they help the situation to be entertaining, but it's genuinely pretty legitimate. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's great. That's good to hear. And in terms of Lord Sugar, you know, pretty pretty ruthless with the delivery of his messages and his um, feedback, shall we say. <laughs> how is How does that compare to actually being in a, a proper business partnership with him? You know, his style and, and how... You know, you you obviously have a lot of value that you get from from being together as a, as business partners. But you know, it, yeah. uh, it, what's the difference in reality versus the TV version? Well, there's several people on that show, like Claude Littner is a great example um, that did the interviews in my year. He's now Lord Sugar's advisor. In on the TV show, he's frightening. He's one of a, the scariest men or people I've ever met in 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 the real life, and then. I met him and he was scary on the show and lovely in real life. He was like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, so sweet, so polite, so engaging, so funny. And you're like, wow, the TV's really, you know, made this guy seem scary. Lord Sugar is scary on TV and he is 10 times scarier in real life, <laughs> which is the crazy thing. He is a tough, tough, tough guy. And, uh, I mean, you don't go from working in a council, uh, living in a council flat in Hackney to becoming a multi-billionaire businessman, world famous, without being a bit of a, a tough guy. Mm. And um, I think his work ethic and his acumen and his toughness, uh, they're there for all to see. And everyone who meets him, you know, says the same story. But he is he is ruthless. He, he, he really is. And he's unapologetic ruthless. And, you know, his book's titled What You See Is What You Get. And I think they've done a pretty good good job on that name because it's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And, and how much involvement in reality um, does Lord Sugar have in the business, though, Mark? Because you're the CEO, you know, it's, it's your business that you founded. Um, but how does that play out for you? Well, I've now spent more time under Lord Sugar's mentorship than I have at high school, than I did at high school. So I'd like to think that uh, now I'm pretty capable uh, of handling it and I'm doing a pretty good job. I mean, you'd need to ask Lord Sugar to find out the true answer. When we started the business, he had a lot of involvement. I mean, he was very, very involved. He was on the phone. He was on emails. He was in the board meetings regularly at the very start. And as we got bigger and we got more successful and I kind of proved that, you know, this was a good business, I'm a good businessman and we're doing very well, he just lets me get on with it. He literally just lets me get on with it. He's there if I need anything and he'd be open to taking a call or a WhatsApp at any time. Uh, but I kind of use him as and when I need him and, and it's a really great relationship. He's, he's a silent investor now. Yeah, yeah, and you're seven years in, aren't you? You know, at the end of the day, so it, the business is not is not in its nascent early days. It's it's very credible, and you've got growth and a track record and, and success. So that exactly. makes absolute sense. And like you say, um, you know, the fact that he he doesn't meddle or get too involved is, is kudos. That and that's kind of all of the the uh, the evidence that you need that you're doing a good job leading the business, which is helpful because you'd know definitely if not. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, let me tell you, you know when he's not happy he's not um he's not the sort of type that kind of sits in the background and lets you wonder what he's thinking he's not backwards and coming forward and i've had a few moments where i've picked up the phone and you can already hear him yelling through the phone and you think blimey i'm in for it today so you know one thing i i, I sort of have learned from him and, and i appreciate about him is that rawness you know there's no 
bitching behind your back. If he's got feedback for you, it's direct, it's straight to your face, and it's not always delivered in the most subdued and, you know, pleasant way. But, you know, at least it's being told to your face and at least it's with well-intentioned, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the business a little bit then, Mark, because obviously massively successful. You're working with some incredible brands. The business is growing. You know, you threw out some numbers there. You know, you hit hit a million in year one, profitable. And and now now where you are today, um, how's the business performing? What's the future for the business that you can see at this point of time? Well, it's it's fascinating actually because Yesterday, literally yesterday, was our record day for the company in terms of we, we registered more new accounts and sales in one day in 24 hours yesterday than any other time in the company's history. Uh, what COVID has done has exacerbated the real push to businesses being online. I remember when I first started in digital marketing, I used to have to go and convince people that people would look for things online. I would literally sit there and type in like, you know, white Nike trainers and show people how they'd come up on Google and business owners would be like, "Mm, well, I just don't think it's going to be a thing. So I've been on that journey of convincing people that digital advertising is, you know, essential to now I've got people begging for the service. So I've kind of seen the full, the full array and um, COVID has just accelerated at five years. People don't want to be held at the behest of lockdowns and high streets opening and closing and limits to how many people they can have on their store. They want to be uncapped online. Uh, The performance on Google's through the roof, the performance on uh, social media, on Facebook and Instagram's through the roof, uh, LinkedIn for B2B businesses. So we've just seen it go crazy. Um, so it's never been better for our business. What we're seeing is a huge lack of talent in the industry that we have a, a huge drain uh, of, of available talent, people can, who can actually do the work because uh, this is a new sector. If you talk about Facebook ads, you're talking about sort of a five to 10-year industry. This didn't exist 10 years ago, and now it's one of the biggest industries in the world. There's not a lot of people to do the work. Now, if you compare that to uh, being a lawyer or being an accountant, that's they've been around hundreds of years. So there's plenty of people in the profession. Mm. So there's challenges. There's no doubt about it. But in terms of the scale of where we can take it, it's our business plan is to 100 million at the moment. Brilliant, brilliant. That's great. Yeah, fantastic. And and from a from a kind of a finance point of view, Mark, are you finding? Obviously, you've got Lord Sugar's investment, um, and 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 you have a number of other financial backers, do you, that that support you with the business uh, development on the finance side? Well, we we we. To be completely frank with you, we've been very successful, and we're now self funded. So we have enough um, uh, profits to reinvest and grow the company without any uh, financial input now. Right. Okay. Great. So uh, cool. That, that's that's a that's a strong position to be in. I mean, what I'm seeing a lot is sort of software as a service businesses are, are really becoming you know a go to for a lot of sort of financial backers to get involved in. And I guess you know you're you're in the area you're in. Um, you're not going to be short of finance options if you want them. Um, that, that, that's the thing, and a key thing, I think is knowing when is the right time to take more money in and when is the right time not to do that. A lot of people um, let the sort of, you know, be careful who you let into the business. It's very hard to, it's very easy to give equity away and get people in. It's very hard to get them out. And, 
you've, you, you don't, you really don't want to get the wolf into the hen house because once it's in there, it's going to make a lot of damage. And uh, I think a lot of people are so caught up on getting levels of investment into their company so they can scale, but they realize, oh, I've given away all my equity or actually this is not my company anymore. It's everyone else's who I've given my equity away to. So it's about getting the right level of financing and it's about giving away the right levels of controls and knowing when enough's enough. You don't actually need that much money to create a good business. You need the right level of investment, but you don't need the amounts that sometimes you hear on the TV. Yeah, no, I agree, actually. I mean, I work with a lot of business owners of various size businesses and very often, you know, they're kind of so focused on doing a fundraise. And when yeah. you actually dig, dig beneath the surface, you go, well, what are you going to spend the money on? That's, and how's that going to transform your business plan? And actually, have you thought really about, is it just financial support that you need? Or are you looking from a partner for their skills, their network, that, that they bring something else to the party? Yeah. I see so often business owners, you know, go into that without having given really serious consideration about why they're doing it, what they're going to do with the cash and who they're getting in bed with. <laughs> yeah, they just want to say things like seed round and this and that. And then they say buzzwords about how they're going to spend the money. But you don't realize that, you know, overfunding is just as a critical problem as underfunding. Mm -hmm. And you, you want to make sure you take on the right levels of, of money and, and the right levels of people and advice into your business. Because if you let too many cooks in the kitchen, you'll end up breaking the business and it'd be very dysfunctional. Um, so, you know, this is where a good mentor or a coach comes in just to hold your hand if it's your first time through that process just to make sure you don't make any silly moves. Yeah, yeah. So longer term then, would you see yourself wanting to scale up, you know, so that you, you end up, you know, you're at 100 million, uh, that's turnover, presumably, Mark, not yeah, profit. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be talking to you from my bloody super yacht if it was. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, we've always got, we've got to have a, a, big, a big vision, right? But, um, you know, could you see yourself getting this up to a billion turnover business, for example? Is that is that the long-term goal, something of that scale? It would be very tough yeah it would okay. be very tough and i'll tell you why the barrier to entry in our market is too low mm. to get to that sort of scale unless i owned every business in the sector uh what creates a scale like that is um the, obviously market size but you know that there is the barrier to entry is too low if you've got a laptop and a phone you can join my industry and while the barrier is that low there'll be too much competition for that scale you could probably you would probably max out i'd say around 500 million and you'd be doing very well you would yeah. be doing very very well that would probably be with a you know 50 mil ebit yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, about about ten percent. Then, yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, makes makes sense. So, throughout all of this exciting journey you've been on, then, Mark, right? It's been a right roller coaster, but really fascinating talking to you. So, you will, I'm sure, you will have had times during your career when you've just been so focused on the business, foot to the floor, working crazy hours, no time for yourself. And I, and I know from some of the things I've heard you speak about, you know, burnout and sort of watching out for that side of things has been um, something you're very conscious of, shall we say. Can we talk about that? And when when you face times where you've gone too far, yes. really, you've really kind of paid the price a little bit in terms of your, you know, your mindset or your health or whatever. And then what you've done to try and get a better balance, if it exists balance i'm not sure it well, 
I'm obsessed with business. It's like my my addiction. Let's call it what it is. I, I love business. I'm addicted to studying business people, reading business books, watching YouTube videos and all of that stuff. When I first started in business, all the videos I was watching were saying, you must work 100 hours a week and you must do this and you must work and you must work 120 this. And it was like, okay, all the information going in was telling me, You've got to work every hour of the day if you want to make it. So I worked every hour of the day for the first few years of the business and strange things started happening. Uh, my productivity was falling. I started having fainting episodes. I was faint, like literally getting dizzy spells and fainting at my desk, fainting in the office. It was really weird. It was really bizarre. And what it was, it was my, I thought I was really unwell. I thought, gosh, have I got a serious illness here because I was getting very well, couldn't get out of bed and all of this stuff. And it was my body saying to me, I'm knackered. I'm absolutely knackered. You're pushing it. You know, your body is only capable of so much and you're taking me beyond every single day what I'm capable of providing you. But by the way, I wasn't sleeping. I was eating terrible food. I was drinking way too much alcohol with clients and all of that sort of stuff. And my body was just not just not having it. And I was kind of like, well, hang on, the YouTube videos and the big business guys on there are not talking about they don't seem to be fainting and, you know, mm. not being able to do, do an email for 25 minutes because they can't see the words and stuff. Um, and it was just, and then I started, you know, having a day off in the week and I felt great and I was getting more done and I was making more money and being pr more productive. And then I was giving myself more time or scheduling out time to go to the gym or scheduling out time to go for a walk or a run or meditate or go on holidays. And all of a sudden, I quickly realized that my performance went up, mm. not down. No one respected me any less because I was working 10 hours less. No one thought any less of me. It was something that I'd created from the nonsense I'd watched and read that was not helpful in any way. Uh, and the best advice I ever got was from Lord Sugar. He said that, you know, he's a billionaire. He's worked for 50 years and he's never worked a weekend. He works Monday to Friday, very hard Monday to Friday, but does not work on a weekend. He gives himself two days to exercise and spend time with his family and create time for his wife and kids. And it's allowed him to have balance. And hearing it from a real billionaire, from a real success, hit home. That delivered the message that I needed. And I think that it's no good being the richest person in the graveyard. There's no good being successful and unhappy mm. because that isn't success. Um, and I, I learned the hard way, which is obviously how I've learned most of my lessons, unfortunately, but it was a very valuable price and hopefully one that I don't fall back on. Yeah, yeah. And what, so, so what do you do now, Mark, to just kind of make sure that that doesn't, you don't fall back into that, that pattern? What's, what sort of an average, an average day or an average week for you? I'll do 12 hours every day, Monday to Friday, and I'll do half a day on a weekend. So that might be uh, uh, emails and uh, diary planning on a Sunday afternoon, which doesn't, it's not hard work, mm -hmm. where that used to be 12 hours, seven days a week, then 12 hours, six days a week. Now it's 12 hours, five days a week. Um, and listen, if I've got to pick up a call, if I need to do an urgent meeting, I'll do it. But it's just structuring my diary with that more space for me and remembering that it is for me. If I want to go all the way, if I, I want to be successful, 
that's actually the plan I need to stick to, not the other way around. And um, I do worry for these kids that go on Instagram and stuff like I was doing when I was first starting. You've got all these false prophets, people saying they're successful, saying they've got super yachts and saying they've got jets and telling these guys they've got to get up in the morning and drink three green juices and meditate and then they've got to work 150 hours to get a Lamborghini. We're setting people up for failure because we're, they're getting fake gurus, giving them fake lessons that aren't sustainable. Um, and I've been very lucky that I've got real mentors, but also I've also learned a lot of these lessons the hard way. Yeah, yeah. No, you see, honestly, what you say is so valuable because anyone listening, when you're young and you're starting out, it's all about the hustle and the grind, isn't it? You know, because you you are you're on a mission and you in and you think there's only one way, and and actually, yeah, that's not smart <laughs> as you as you've just described. Exactly. Um, and to have mentors and someone like your Lord Sugar in your life to actually say, "Hang on a minute, Mark. You know, you need to, you need to take a look at what's going on here because otherwise, you won't be around. <laughs> It'll all be worth." Well, and one of his advisors did he pulled me around and said this you, you're you're working too much you're working way too much and it's not consistent and, and you'll die and he just he hit me so hard with the information so direct but also if you really want to be successful in business or in anything whether it's your health and fitness whether it's anything in life yeah, the key is consistency you've got to be able to do something over a long period of time and what I was doing was not being, you weren't, wouldn't be able to do it over a long period of time. And, and that's what I've asked myself now. And what I'm doing now, I could do forever because I'm enjoying it. I really enjoy what I'm doing and I'm good at what I'm doing, but I could do it week in, week out with no problem. And that's what's telling me I'm on the right system now. Yeah, yeah. And when you were going through that, that, all that difficult time with your family, your family's back in Australia, right, Mark? Is that right? Yes, that's yes. right. So they're still there. And um, what was it? What did they know? What was happening? Did you get any kind of input from those through them? Because they must have been quite worried if they were seeing what was going on, being so far. Well, yeah, and you know, my dad. I mean, when I grew up and uh, sitting around the dinner table uh, at home, both my parents own small businesses. My dad owns a mechanics garage, and my mum owns a hair, hair salon. So the talk at the dinner table was like, how are we going to pay rent this month? Should we pay this employee this much? Should we hire that one? Should we fire that one? So the talk was always business. Mm. And I saw my dad just work. He worked so hard every day. He was a seven-day man, then a six-day man. And he was one of the first people to pick up the phone to me and say, you, you, you're overdoing it. He said, and he said to me, you need more work-life balance. And he was like, you know, that could even be the pub on a Friday night or that can be, you know, it doesn't have to be always about money and business and all of this stuff. And to hear it from him and Lord Sugar is that's when it, it the, the people I've looked up to, it hit, hit home that it was too much and, you know, and obviously I was fainting and all of that sort of stuff. But it's a great lesson for people. For the youngsters, I would say, because you've only do have one body, you only have one mind, and if you cook the goose on those, you don't get a second chance sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also, I think I don't know when you're younger. I think sometimes you feel you've got something to prove. You know, maybe yep. maybe we're all seeking for well done, well done, or oh, good old Mark. You know, look how fantastic you've done. You left Australia. You've built this amazing business. You won the Apprentice and. And, you know, we're looking for that very often. I think we're looking for that external validation. from. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? 
well, you've hit the nail on the head. Don't worry about resonate. That was it was like looking and speaking in a mirror. I think you know. You, I come from a very small town. I come from a you know a, a town where I was one of the first of my family to ever leave the town. So to go, not only I mean, going to Sydney would have been a big deal, but to come to London and do what I've done is like groundbreaking stuff. And almost you want to parade when you go back to say that recognition of look at this guy that. He didn't do good at school. He left with no grades. He really struggled. He all of this stuff, and now look what he's gone and achieved. And that's always on your mind, but that's always that's ego, and uh, and you can do well without that as well. Yeah, and that comes with a bit of maturity, doesn't it? Because listen, everyone has an ego, and if they if, yeah. if they say they haven't, they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> everyone has an ego, but the the point is, I suppose, keep it in check. Um, and Definitely. make sure that you're, you're putting your effort into the things that are really worthwhile, not, not the vanity metrics. I was saying to one of, my, one of my most successful employees, he's been my most successful mentee, he, he, a guy named by, by Mike Bush, and I said to him, what's really interesting is the older I get and the more successful I get, the smaller my ego goes. When I was a youngster, when I was 19, 20, 22, I used to have a big watch and I had, I had to have a designer T-shirt and the designer shirt because I wanted people to think I was rich. Mm. And the richer I get, now I wear like iWatch and I wear like, you know, cl- the same clothes pretty much every single day, you know, and because I don't need that validation anymore because I've given it to myself. Yeah. And, that's, and that's really powerful. Yeah, self-belief, self-love. It, 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 you're right. It's it's so important because the rest is a bit of a nonsense, really, isn't it? But it, often you have to uh, you have to sort of tread tread that path yourself a little bit before you realise that um, actually you're in a good place. And you get comfortable in your own shoes as you get older, don't you? I think so. Yeah, that's, that's I think the, honestly, I think the key to high performance is self-esteem. The more you like and believe in in yourself, the more you can achieve. And if you just work consistently on yourself in all aspects, you will start doing better everywhere. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I always say there's a really simple equation for success and results. It starts with the inner you, belief, self-belief. Because yeah. if you genuinely believe in yourself and you you shut up the negative voices and all of that rubbish that can sometimes go on, you can achieve anything you want in life. But then, and being clear on what you want, the next bit is your purpose and your reason why, and is that compelling enough? And then put the hard yards, and you have to take action, and then you get the results. <laughs> exactly. This, it, but unfortunately, what you've just said is one hundred percent the truth. But people want the shortcut, and it, it, uh, there's no real shortcut. I'm afraid. No, they want the baby without the labour pains. Well, quite right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any babies, so I just never bothered with any of that. But uh, yeah, that's a different story altogether. So what's next for you then, Mark, in the business and also for you as a, as a person, as an individual? What's the, what's the next sort of big thing for you? Well, what's really interesting is each year I finish a business year and I feel as if the year before I didn't know a thing. I kind of feel like I'm going to school every single year. And uh, that's what I love about this is every, t- every day I feel like I'm learning and advancing. And um, 
that's why I love business is, is it's so challenging. I'm constantly learning. But right now, I honestly feel I'm at the peak. I, I feel I'm in the prime of my ability. And uh, it's taken me 10 years of hard graft to get here. But now I've got the knowledge, the team around me and the money to really make an impact. And um, I don't know, I'm so, I'm so excited because I kind of feel I could do whatever I want. And that is that is a powerful place to be. Uh, I'd love to put a, 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 um, a company public. I'd like to scale more internationally, uh, including Sydney and um, New York. But I've it's just started investing in a load of businesses. I bought a shampoo company. I bought a PR company. I have my property company. And what I'm really enjoying is working with young entrepreneurs who are sort of 10 years behind me on their journey. They're making all the mistakes I was making 10 years ago, but they have a good business and they've got a good work ethic. And I know that I kind of feel I owe it to take the lessons I've learned and the mentorship I've had and pass that down the line because that's true. That is true uh, entrepreneurial spirit. spirit. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's all about giving back, isn't it, as well, and just kind of helping the next generation. I, I totally, totally agree with you. I mean, I do that. I, I do a lot of mentoring myself, and I get so much satisfaction out of seeing people that I work with just really get to that next level, and they fly, you know, but you it's yeah. to have that level of support and guidance and, and everything that you've just uh, described there. So, so it's more going plural then, actually, with what you've described. Definitely. Yeah. I would say diversify, but it's almost as well with the, the coaching and the speaking and the mentoring stuff I do, it's almost a bit selfish as well because when I get a big dividend payment and when I get off stage from speaking to 3,000 people, the feeling from the speaking is I feel more alive from that than I do mm. the financial aspect. So it's, it is a bit selfish in a way. Yes, I'm helping and I'm coaching or I come out of one of my new businesses. One of my businesses made £2,000 profit this month, complete waste of time financially. But the guy was buzzing and it got me, you know, <laughs> from where we've come from to where we are to make £2,000 and showing him that process. I felt amazing after the meeting and it was you know, that's what it's about now. It's about trying my arm at multiple things, about helping other people, but really seeing how big I can take the whole empire, if you want to call it that. Yeah, well, that £2,000, if you look back to when you were in your hostel and you had, what was it, £171 in your... Well, quite right, quite <laughs> right. And you forget that. You you really, it, it's so funny. You play at the level that you, you're at now, don't you? It's It's weird. Yeah, it's all relative. So if you lost it all today then, Mark... Everything just went belly up for whatever reason, and you had to start again. What business would you start if you were starting from scratch? Oh, that's a very good question. And firstly, I'll preface it by saying I don't think there's ever been a better time to be an entrepreneur and start a business, like you were talking about with software. I think things like cyber health, um, cyber security. Uh, telehealth, these types of things are booming. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to go into online gaming, online software, you would pretty much hit a home run straight off the bat. So I think for me, it would be something along those lines, whether it's cybersecurity, online gaming, uh, something along those lines using my skills that I've learned with my marketing and business prowess, I think would tie together nicely. I'd like to be potentially in a sector with higher margins than I'm in now because marketing, again, with the barrier to entry stuff, the margins are low because um, you've got to be competitive on price. 
Yeah, yeah. Although you said 10% before, so, you know, that's certainly a lot higher than travel businesses, which normally can be anything between about 5% if you're lucky. <laughs> I know. And and you t that's high competition as well, isn't it? Very, yeah. very high competition. Exactly, exactly. But no, that's really interesting. And if you if you were on this starting on this new venture, um, back to square one again, um, who would you have with you on your journey? You could pick two people. Who would you bring with you? Dead or alive or people I've met, what's the, what's the context? At whatever you want. Two people you could bring with you, past or present. One of them still works with me. I'd take Mike Bush, who's my second in charge of my companies now. He's been essential to my, my growth and my company's success, and I would keep him. Um, and maybe Andrew Carnegie who founded Carnegie Steel, he uh, mentored Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich. He's my favorite entrepreneur of all time. That would be if I'd take a dead one. If I could take an alive person, it would be Elon Musk. <laughs> Might let you have three. This is there you go. I cheated. I cheated. This is a good guy. I've never asked anyone that question. It just came to me, Mark. Came to me as a flash of inspiration. There we are. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I love that stuff because... I, I can't tell you how many hours of books and videos I've watched of entrepreneurs from the 1800s through to now studying their businesses, their personalities, their working week, their schedules, because I'm constantly trying to improve myself. Yeah, well, that's it. We're all work in progress till the day we die. That's what I believe. <laughs> I, I love that. And I think the day you stop learning, you start dying yeah. genuinely. Yeah, yeah, you're either growing or dying. I totally, totally. Exactly. See, kindred spirits we are, Mark. It's a good job we've met each other now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to come to a couple of final questions, if I may, Mark. Oh, um, it goes so fast, doesn't it, the time? I know. I mean, you know, I guess both of us can talk, right? So maybe that's something to do with it. But, um, yeah, so if you can think of, you, you gave the best piece of advice that Lord Sugar gave you before, um, if you were thinking of a, a, another piece of advice, can you can you think of a, another another great piece of advice that's kind of stayed with you apart from the, what you've had from Lord Sugar? There's been so many. Honestly, I've been so lucky um, from the customers I've had, mentors I've had, people I've met along my way, podcasts I've done. Um, this guy called Roger Adams once told me, and Roger Adams was Lord Sugar's real advisor, not someone that you see on The Apprentice that's covered in makeup, he, you know, a really not built for camera type of fellow. Um, he told me that to be successful in business, you've got to have a thick rhinoceros skin. And he went on to tell me about, you know, life and business are two different things and you've got to be tough and you can't take things personally and you've got to also get on the front foot and attack sometimes. And when I was young and he gave me that advice, I didn't really understand it. And today, let me tell you, I really do. <laughs> <laughs> you've got the scars to prove. I've got the, I've got the wounds to, to cover that advice. And it was so simple and the way he delivered it was so elegant. And I reflect on that a lot. And it's not a nice thing to say to people, particularly, you know, the world we're living in right now. But if you want to go all the way, you've got to be tough. And uh, I know that sounds very simplistic, but you have to be. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, and so often I think we mix our identity up with what we do. Uh, Correct. Business, either as, as a business owner or in a role, whichever, uh, as opposed to that's not who we are. So when things 
are tough in business very often we're wrapped up so much our identity into that that then it really is painful a hundred percent and it's about separating that and and knowing the difference yeah yeah what you do is not who you are so uh, quite right quite right oh well look at us so wise um so (laughs) so can you think of the worst piece of advice you've had mark that either you took and regretted or you didn't because it was so bad That is a fantastic question. That's kind of stopped me in my tracks, if I'm honest. That is a because the amount of BS I've heard along the way, <laughs> I could write 10 books on. I mean, I could write one book of all the good stuff. I could write 20 on all the nonsense because there is a lot of people that will tell you how to do it uh, and they've never done it. Um, wow. I, I, I want to give you a really good answer to this because I've heard a lot of crap. Um, I, I can't, I'm, I'm really struggling with this one. <laughs> I'm re- well, we could, we could do Help it. Me enough, out. Tell me could, yours. Tell me yours. I think the, the, the worst piece of advice I've ever had was about, about approach to risk. Oh, do you really think you should leave that really good, well-paid, uh, job that you've worked all those years to get to the top of the tree? Don't think you should leave that. That's the worst piece of advice I've ever had, which actually I ignored because I am quite stubborn and I'll do my own thing anyway. But yeah, that was probably one of the worst pieces, which actually often comes from a, um, a position. It's more about the other person. And normally it's because they're cautious themselves and maybe they're just not in the same frame of mind as you are. Um, I agree. That yeah. was one of my I, worst ones. Yeah. I, I've had a lot of trolls after The Apprentice. I've got a lot of followers online after I went on the, the telly and what I learned, because they used to get to me early on and I'd read all this stuff and they'd re- be pretending and saying all this stuff like they'd known me for 15 years and they just followed me five minutes ago and I was saying all this stuff with the way I look, the way I speak, the way I did this. And I, I quickly learned that when someone's giving you poor advice or having a go at you, what they're doing is they're seeing, uh, you're, they're seeing you do something that shows them what they're capable of and their defense is to try and pull you down and it tells you more about them than it does about you. And I think I've been given so much bad advice. I can't tell you one thing, but one thing I can tell you is that I'm like a bullshit filter. It goes in one ear and out the other and it never registers. And that's probably why I can't remember it because yeah. I know what's important to my journey and I just stick to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's right there. You see the perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And this is my final question. Well, actually yeah. penultimate question. Where can people find you, Mark? Cause it's important that they can get in touch with you. Well, if you go to climb.online, that will go straight to my main website. That's got my events and all my contact details on it. That's climb.online. Or if you search for Mark Wright on any social media platform, there'll be two of us. Uh, I'm the one that is the handsome Australian blue tick on all social media platforms uh, and the businessman. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Just for, just for clarification purposes. Yes. Don't follow the wrong mark. Right. That would be crazy. wrong. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> okay. So now my last question, which I know you're going to love. So what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you, Mark? Well, that sums up what you've got to do to be successful in business to me. You need to be brave to get started. You need to be bold to have an idea and something that stands out from the crowd. And you've got to be brilliant to stay at it long enough and stand out enough to be successful. So for me, it sums up the three things that you need to make it. 
Yeah, perfect. I love that. My word. And you are brave, bold and brilliant, Mark. Doing my best every day. Absolutely. Love it. I love it. Listen, thank you so much, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.